Now, have you ever had this experience where you buy a new car and then you wonder if the whole of Allegheny County went out and bought the exact same model as you because you see it everywhere? Uh, this is not unusual. It's uh, known as the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon or the frequency illusion where something that you saw for the first time suddenly feels like it's everywhere. And right now, I'm having one of these with lamps because... I've just bought five new ones for the parlor, and uh, it seems as I read scripture that in the Bible, lamps are just absolutely everywhere. In my morning reading this week from 2 Chronicles, and it's got nothing to do with this series, uh, it said, God made a covenant with David and promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. And that is one of the central promises of the Old Covenant, of the Old Testament. Uh, It's fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is this ultimate descendant of of King David. And I read in a commentary about that reading that the lamp, it says, is a metaphor of persistence and permanence in the darkest times. And maybe the the, the writer thought uh, that the lamp, the image of the lamp, was inspired by the temple where in the presence of Yahweh, a lamp was always lit inside of the temple. As the subsequent narrative shows, the Davidic line, that is the descendants of King David, will come perilously close to extinction until it hangs by the slenderest thread. Yet against all odds, it is preserved in God's grace. A lamp shines in the darkness. I said in week one that the letter of 2 Peter, it begins with, with Peter telling us, reminding us, you might not think that you're very bright. You might not think that you're a very great Christian. But Peter says, actually... If you are a Christian, then you have an equal standing with him, with the Apostle Peter himself. And and by that same grace, Peter says, that's not saying enough. In fact, if you are a Christian, then you have the righteousness of Christ himself about you. It means that when the Father looks at you, what he sees is the Son, that, that God sees Jesus when he looks at you. Your identity is the righteousness of Christ. Last week, Ben said that flowing out of that new identity come all of these new desires. You've got an equal standing with Peter. You've got the righteousness of Christ himself. Therefore, you're going to start living a little bit like them. And uh, today, another therefore, Peter says in verse 10, where we begin today, he says, therefore, in light of of this uh, equal standing with Peter, in light of this identity of Christ, in light of all of the, the flowing of all of these new desires, therefore, verse 10, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now, please note what this is not saying. All right? This is not saying that you need to start to live a good Christian life and then maybe God will start to love you. Or... You need to do more as a Christian, and then, and then maybe God will start to love you more. It's not saying either of those things. Those are both heresies. They're called Pelagianism and semi-Pelagianism, and they're both from the pit of hell. What it's saying is that God already loves you in Jesus Christ. He elected you, and he called you, and now he changes you. He starts to go to work from the inside out, welling up, with this power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, says Peter, in light of all of that, be diligent. 
Spudazzo uh, is the word in Greek. It means uh, get on with it. It's like the word speed, spudazzo, or, or speedos, those sort of ugly swimming trunks that make you swim quickly. It's uh, apparently, it's uh, a, a speedy word of work. And it's an imperative. Get on with Christianing. Cooperate with your calling to live out a Christian life. Don't be a Christian, do a Christian. Do Christian. Go and do Christian. It's not a sit there. It's a get out there kind of a word. Uh, And as you do, as you go and do Christian, uh, what will happen is many benefits will flow from this new identity and from this activity of the Holy Spirit within you. Uh, What are the benefits of doing Christianity? Peter says very briefly, there are two things. First, you will confirm your calling and election. Not you will obtain it, but you will confirm it. Several months ago, due to the labor shortage, I made an appointment to have our dog groomed. And uh, they called, and it was this, yesterday, in fact, he was, he was shaved, and they got most of it. But uh, this, uh, he's got a really funny bulge, and I do invite you to come and look at it. But uh, they called me two days ago, better than nothing, and uh, they, they said two days ago, um, hey, it's Petco. Would you like to confirm rugby's appointment? And I said, yes, I would very much. I did not make a new appointment for the dog at that point. I simply confirmed the one that I already had. And that is the image that Peter is using in this letter. You're going to confirm that which is already true when you live like a Christian. So first, if you live like a Christian, you're going to confirm that you really are one. Or as the hymn says, have a blessed assurance. Then second, if you practice these qualities, he says, you will never fall. Meaning if you live like a Christian, then you will remain one. A blessed endurance. Verse 12, therefore, it's the second therefore. Very logical flow of arguments here. Therefore, therefore, in light of the thing, in light of the thing, go and do a thing. It's really, really simple. You're like Peter. In fact, you are Jesus. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. It is starting to change your desires. You have become diligent. You are assured and you are enduring. Therefore, he says, I intend always to remind you. I'm going to just keep on showing you over and over again how to live. And verse 13, by way of reminder, I'll remind you and remind you again. And as I do, Peter says, as I remind you of this Christian stuff. I will stir you up. Now, every now and then, just, I don't know, spirit or just personal weirdness or whatever, but a certain word jumps out at me, and and I love it. So uh, I looked into this phrase, stir up, and it is a fascinating verb. It it means to wake up or to render active, and it also means to agitate. So if you want to picture what stir up is, Go and put some Mentos in a bottle of Coke and shake it up and see what happens. Uh, That exemplifies this word. Uh, Two of the boys that were here for the Saturday service last night seemed all too eager for that experiment. (laughs) And uh, I I fear that their parents are going to leave the church. And so uh, as a result, and I just want to say it wasn't my fault that the Holy Spirit did it. All right, I'm not the author of Scripture. (laughs) Um, The Gospel does this. Gospel preaching does this. To picture what the gospel does is to drop Mentos in a bottle of Coke and shake it with the lid off. 
That's what the, the gospel does. It, 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 it activates and it agitates and it overflows. And, and, and it fosters, I think, within us a, a deep, holy dissatisfaction with our old life, a, a, a disdain for the status quo. And it sends us out. We start to hanker for something more active. The collect in the prayer book for the fourth Sunday in Advent uh, says this, Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us, and let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. That same beautiful combination of both stirring and speed that we find in Second Peter. So Victorian Christians, they used to use this prayer. I mean, the, the, the collect is hundreds of years old, but the Victorians loved it, and they used to say this stirring prayer as they prepared the Christmas meal, because it was the last collect in Advent, and they actually ended up calling the day Stir Up Sunday after this collect. But they got their wires crossed. They got a bit confused as they were doing the prayer and making the meal. They started to think that the prayer had something to do with the Christmas pudding, which it didn't. Um, that's just bad teaching, but it's a great image. And, uh, it, of course, if you fail to stir up a Christmas pudding, what will happen is that all the good stuff will sink to the bottom, and then on top there'll just be a pile of fat. Absolutely gross. I mean, a Christmas pudding's pretty gross to start with, but an unstirred one is really rank. And uh, you have to activate those ingredients to make it nice-ish. You have to... <laughs> It's hard work. Often the whole family, you know, they didn't have food mixes. The whole family would be at it, you know, until your arm would run out, and then the next one would do it. Spudazzo. Stir it up with, with effort. And the gospel, Peter is saying to us, does this. The gospel stirs us up, and Christians do this. They stir others up. The gospel agitates, and the gospel activates and, and as you receive the gospel, you are sent out to do the same. Keeping up with the theme, verse 15, Peter says, And I will make every effort, I will work at this thing as well, so that after my departure, when I die, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So, reminder, you have Jesus. Reminder, you have Jesus. Remember, therefore, you have Jesus. So go out now, having been stirred up, and stir something else up. Go and use the gospel to activate and agitate your town. That which activated and agitated you will do the same to others. Now, if you want to do this, Peter reminds us again in verse 19, then you need to be aware of what the world is really like. And you need to know what tools you will need in order to go out into the world and do this job. So he says, especially, I mean, verse 19, if, you've got, if you're kind of a one-verse person, you've got one in you to look at today. This is the one, verse 19. And uh, he says, especially pay attention to the prophetic word. Now, what he means by prophetic word is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and indeed the whole of Scripture, all of it. He means all 39 books of the Old and 27 of the New, the whole canon of Scripture, divinely inspired by God, written down for us to go and do Christian, written down for us to use. You cannot do Christianity without this, though many have tried, and they keep on trying, and the results are always the same. 
Their churches collapse, praise God. So pay attention to the good news of Jesus Christ. Pay attention to the truth that he was born, that really happened, that he really died for you and he really rose again. We don't have time to get into the transfiguration on the mountain because we looked at these other readings a couple of weeks ago and we get the tape if you missed it, but uh, we won't find a tape, but get the MP3 if you missed it. Uh, on that holy mountain, Jesus Christ is really revealed uh, with the very nature that he has. It is really revealed to them on the mountain as he shines with the glory of the splendor of the king, megaliotes, the shining glory. It is really revealed to them that he is the lamp that was promised to King David long ago, that he is the light of the world. And then Calvary's hill shows us that this beautiful, splendorous, majestic light of the world is plunged into darkness, is covered in shame, is crucified, a rotten, grotesque, painful, humiliating, shameful sinner's death for us. And on the cross, a glorious exchange takes place whereby our sin is crucified and atoned for, and his glory is transmitted to us. His identity is given to us and imputed upon us, and we become like him on the cross, the splendor of the king. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to the fact that you've been bathed in the lights of Jesus Christ by his blood on the cross. Key verse. As to a lamp shining in a dark place, Now, the lamp is the good news of Jesus Christ. And the dark place, the darkness, is the world all around us. The world is a dark place. And this is where I fully intend this morning to stir a few things up. So, 2 Peter 1.19. This is the only place in the whole of Scripture where this word darkness, this version, uh, dark place, two words in Greek, actually occurs. So what that means is we can't just flick all around the Bible looking for all the times this appears to kind of figure out exactly what the word means. We have to do the second best thing, which is go to classical Greek and see how they kind of generally used it at the time. And uh, in classic Greek, the, uh, the word darkness, uh, as well as gloomy and dingy and dark, can also mean funereal, dirty, and squalid. And uh, Bible translators, what they can't do is just give you a whole list of everything it might mean. They've got to pick one. But the speakers and the readers at the time would be aware of all of the nuanced differences and, and shades that are in a picture word like this. And I believe that Peter chose this unusual word deliberately. I believe that he chose a, a, a powerful word. I think he picked this word on purpose to show us that the world is not just dark, but the world is indeed a squalid place and that it reeks of death. The more the lamp shines, the more the world is revealed for what it is. Now, you might well agree with me. I'm I'm probably pushing on an open door at this point because you've all got an iPad. Other tablets are available. You've all got a phone, right? You all read the news. And uh, some of us are probably addicted to it. And so I'm probably pushing on an open door when I say that the world is a dark and squalid place full of death. Because you can say to me, aren't you? Well, look, I, I know. I've, I've been reading about Afghanistan. I've read about the border crisis. I've read about the Uyghur region of North China. And you might say to me, look, I, I read history. I know about pogroms and, and purges. And I've read about everything from Austerlitz to Auschwitz. And I know the world is a dark place. Maybe you're a doctor. Maybe 
you're a patient, maybe you're a grieving relative and you've seen cancer and you know that the world is a dark place. Uh, and maybe you've driven down the wrong street by mistake or maybe you've built a house there to do missionary work and you know that there are dark places in this world and I'm pushing on an open door. You've seen tragedy and you say, yeah, I know. There's the darkness over there. I know it is a dark and deadly and squalid place. But Peter's saying, no. The darkness is not over there. The darkness is everywhere, all over the world. And in fact, the darkness, the squalor, is even in places and even in things that we like. So the darkness is to be found in every $30,000 school place and every $60,000 membership to a club. It is to be found in every brand new car. It is to be found on every yacht and every private jet aircraft. It is to be found in every promotion. It is to be found in every investment portfolio. It is to be found in every manicured yard. It is to be found in every certificate on our wall, every MBA and every GPA of 4.0. And Peter says in verse 9 that sometimes the problem is that we're so blindfolded that we can't even see these things for what they really are. And so we think they're nice. And we're so blindfolded we can't even see the lamp shining them and exposing them for what they are. And so those things become our gods. We love them and we hanker after them and we think they will make us happy and we love them and we worship them. Those things seem nicer than they really are without the light. I've published for us at the back of our bulletin today. We have a look. We don't have a big screen, so I can't show clips from TV, but I've, I've published just some screenshots, some stills from one of my favorite TV commercials, and you can see them there at the back of the bulletin. Uh, some images from uh, an advert by the company Febreze. I don't know if you've seen any of these commercials at all on TV. But so what they did is uh, they would set up a studio and uh, then they would fill the studio with all of the most disgusting things that they could find. So there was an old couch slept on by a wet dog. There was a student bedroom, which is bad enough, but they littered it with sneakers and dirty clothes from the gym. And there's a filthy kitchen covered with unwashed pots. That's called Los Angeles Gross Kitchen, which is very descriptive, is it not? And then what they would do is they would get volunteers outside and they would blindfold them out in the street. They would lead them into the room and just before they came in, they would spritz the whole place with Febreze. And then they would lead them in, blindfold, and they would ask them to tell them what they smelled. Where did they think they were? Oh, I smell fresh fruit and coconuts. Flowers? A tropical beach? One lady says... It brings me to my happy place. Then they would peel away the blindfold and they would see the room as it really was. Well, that is our entire world. And it is the gospel that reveals it. The tragedy is, this weekend, if I've stirred you up a little bit and I've poked at one of your favorite things, you might well want me to take the lamp away. You might say, can we, can we read some other document in church, please? Can I have my blindfold back? 
I was in my happy place before. Were you happy? Were you really happy before? This is a very intriguing motif in film. There's something about this thing that, that we're looking at right now that, that resonates with us. Not just Christians, but, but all humans made in the image of God. There's something about this idea of, of, of things being exposed and seeing the world as it really is that resonates with the human race so much that we keep writing it in scripts of movies. We keep coming back to it. At the Truman Show, you know, beautiful world. And then he starts to figure out that it's a scam, that he's a rube, that he's the only one that doesn't know what's really going on. And uh, he's about to escape that dome. The voice comes over, you know, I am the creator, pause, 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 of a TV show. And this is the safe place. This is the good place. This is the happy place. Don't go out that door, Truman. Pleasantville, black and white to color. The Stepford Wives. All your wives are robots. Uh, superficially beautiful places where in each of these cases, the protagonist gets a sense, a whiff, just something comes up from, from beneath the Febreze. Something's not right. And, and starts to see the world as it really is and, and then tries to get the hell out of there. And, and of course, those movies often, perhaps always, contain someone going the opposite way. Someone who's seen what it's really all about and is craving the, the, the scam, the fake world, the blindfold, the darkness again. Uh, there's a scene in The Matrix, the movie The Matrix, first one, where having escaped a fake world and having been unplugged from this sort of pod where you're fed baby food through tubes and, and your brain waves uh, generate power for this hideous race of machines... Uh, one of the characters having escaped, he actually agrees to betray all the heroes in that movie uh, if only uh, he can go back into the fantasy and not know what's really going on. And he says this to Agent Smith. He says, after nine years, you know what I realize? Ignorance is bliss. I know this steak is not real but I can taste it, and it seems real to me. And Smith says, don't we have a deal? And the guy goes, I don't want to remember nothing, nothing you understand, and I want to be rich, you know, someone important, like an actor. Whatever you want, Mr. Cipher. He goes back in. Then he gets run over and dies. C.S. Lewis once wrote, if Matrix is not for you, this has been going on for 100 years, C.S. Lewis once wrote in one of his books, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. So here's what I say to you. If the Febreze is wearing off right now, you don't want your blindfold back, after all. I want to just end with an encouragement instead. So I once went to see a mentor of mine, a man called Art, an older man. I admired him very much indeed. Uh, Art may not be a man. He may be an angel. I, ju I just put that out there because he just seems to appear whenever I need him at weird times. Like, I mean, <laughs> I literally traveled 3,000 miles to be here, and, and like, art oh, still rolls up, so, you know, whatever. Anyway, let's assume he's a man. Uh, he had retired 
I mean, God's playing the long game if he's an angel. Uh, he'd retired from uh, a career in the same field as, as, as I had been in. And uh, he'd recently also been ordained very late in life. Uh, as late as the Church of England would allow, he'd been ordained. And uh, he told me that, like me, in his late 20s, he'd received a call to be ordained, uh, but that he'd stayed instead at the law firm where he worked, and he'd done very, very well at the firm, been successful, and worked his way up the ladder until he'd become the senior partner. And then the heart attack came. He said, waking up on the hospital bed, the Lord said to him again, how about now? And then leading him to the prophet Joel, the prophetic word, leading him to the scriptures, God said to him, I will repay you for the years the locust has eaten. And Art said to me, just imagine having your greatest success described like that. Imagine having all of that success described as being like the stalk of a plant that had been eaten by a swarm of pests. But then Art said to me as well, imagine getting a second chance. And that's the lamp. That's what the light does. That's the gospel. Want a third chance? Want a fourth? Feel like you've used him up? You haven't. He's bigger than you. And he's coming for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, of course we go for stuff. It's so great. But I pray, God, that the smell would wear off. And I pray that the blindfold would come up. And I pray that the lights would go on. And I pray that having given us an equal standing and having given us your righteousness and having activated us with new desires and having sent us out to stir things up, you'd continue to agitate and activate us and to agitate and activate this town. Lord, as we vomit on the idols of Fox Chapel and expose them, beautiful though they are, please reveal something more beautiful, which is your son. Please deliver us from what feels safe but is faked and deliver us from, from things that we've looked to for security and, <clears throat> and happiness. Bring us to a really happy place in the freedom of Jesus Christ alone, we ask. Amen.